I don't think you can actually even function in a leadership role without a degree of emotional intelligence. Being able to read your people, being able to motivate and influence your people, being able to influence around the organizations. According to this study by Barwani Baron McKinley, EQ and the bottom line, 30% of occupational performance is based on AI or emotional intelligence, as described by the Baron model. And when it's leadership in particular, that jumps to about 67%. Hello, my name is Darren Fox, and I'm your Fast Leader host. And this episode of the Fast Leader podcast is about emotional intelligence for people leaders. In particular, what is it? How do I know I need to get better at it? And how might I actually get better? While this podcast series focuses on our FastLead alumni and first-time people leaders, emotional intelligence is important for everyone, including experienced managers and anyone without any people leadership responsibilities. Everyone can benefit from a refresher or pick up a hot new tip on this topic. So if there are any long-term leaders listening right now, I hope you also stick with us for the next 30 minutes and maybe even send us some feedback or thoughts about this podcast at our FastLead.com website. Joining us in today's podcast is Kim Ambor, organizational psychologist and founder of Career Power, and Dominic Johnson, principal consultant at HFL. Hello, Kim and Dominic. Hey. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Dom, before we get started, I think it's really important that we give a quick description of how we define emotional intelligence in the FastAid program. Would you be able to give us a quick refresher? Sure. Understanding one's own and others' emotions and also influencing them or expressing them in useful ways. So self-awareness, what am I feeling? How might that influence my thoughts, my moods, my attitudes, my actions? What's causing those feelings? Can I adjust problematic feelings or enhance more helpful feelings? How are others feeling? Can I influence how others are feeling? So all of these are different aspects of emotional intelligence. Great. Thanks, Dom. And Kim, uh, I'll turn to you what do you think would be your top three reasons as to why emotional intelligence is so important for people in uh, people leadership roles? Yes. Well, firstly, I think emotional intelligence is important for people in the traditional leadership roles as well as those in personal leadership. People who have higher EQ are able to build rapport quick with others. If they're in a team, they're building stronger rapport. It's going to create more supportive teams and increase trust. Okay. Secondly, I think that people who are aware of their own strengths and development areas are more likely to be aware of their impact and the value in the organization, and therefore they're less likely to be involved in office politics and power struggles, and less likely to cause them. <laughs> people who do not have this awareness cause office politics and are often not aware that they're causing it. Thirdly, People in the service-related roles who show greater degree of empathy tend to provide better service to their customers or stakeholders because they respond genuinely to their concerns, which of course drives better outcomes for all those involved. Great. Thanks, Kim. And Dom, you've been coaching managers for a while now and in leading the FASIDA program. Have you come across any research or even just what you experienced uh, yourself in terms of your coachees? or a link between their emotional intelligence and their career performance or the financial performance of the organization? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can actually even function in a leadership role without a degree of emotional intelligence. 
being able to read your people, being able to motivate and influence your people, being able to influence around the organizations. So according to this study by Barwani Baron McKinley, EQ in the bottom line, 30% of occupational performance is based on AI or emotional intelligence as described by the Baron model. And when it's leadership in particular, that jumps to about 67%. I also saw a study uh, recently that linked emotional intelligence to one's earning abilities. And that said that each percentage point increase in emotional intelligence amounted to an extra $1,300 of earnings per year. So it does seem that in all facets of life, that ability to influence others, collaborate effectively, build trust, uh, all the things that we would say are fruits of good emotional intelligence, even if it's just self-discipline or the ability to not procrastinate and adjust one's own moods, all of these things correlate with achieving better outcomes. Okay. Thanks, Dom. There's certainly a lot of research out there that we can share for people who want to visit our fastly.com website research that clearly shows there is a direct link between job performance, business performance, promotion, and even increases in income. There's just so much stuff out there on emotional intelligence. Have either you come across any articles or books or even authors who you just consistently recommend when people ask? Kim, what about you? Yeah, look, I'm sure most of the listeners would be very familiar with Daniel Goleman and all his books. He wrote lots of books around working with emotional intelligence and emotional intelligence leadership, um, many others. I think besides Goldman, the two that I've come across that happen to be pretty straightforward and easily digestible. Uh, the first one is published by Harvard Business Review, so a very reputable place called Dealing with Difficult People. And the second book that I came across is called Control Your Mind and Master Your Feelings. And it's written by Eric Robertson. Cool. Thanks. Again, all this stuff that we mentioned during the podcast, we'll try to make available via links on our website. And Dom, what about you? Do you have any recommendations? Yeah, well, certainly all the Daniel Goldman books. But probably the most helpful book I've come across is Travis Bradbury's Emotional Intelligence 2.0. And that seems to outline a lot of very practical how-tos. So where Goldman may look at it as more of an academic kind of study, this is really, if you want to improve your self-awareness, then do these things. If you want to improve your other's awareness, then do these things. And that could be a particularly helpful reference material for anyone wishing to grow their capabilities. Okay. Thanks, Dom. Okay. So that brings us to the end of part one of our podcast. Part two will be right back when I ask our guests to discuss the six core EI skills we identify in the FASI program. And in part three, I'm hoping Kim and Dominic might share a personal story about emotional intelligence. Experts and technical specialists have never been more important or in demand, but that's not reflected in the leadership training they're given. Unlock the business potential of experts with Expertship, HFL's new development program for the individual contributors technical specialists, and other experts in your organization. If innovation and business agility are important to you, learn more at expertunity.global. Welcome back to part two of this Fast Leader podcast about emotional intelligence for people leaders. In the Fast Lead program, we discuss six core skills of EI using what's called the Genos EI framework. These core skills are self-awareness, awareness awareness of others, 
authenticity, emotional reasoning, self-management, and finally, inspiring performance. Okay, so I'm going to put you both under the pump a bit by asking you to respond to three questions about each of these skills, but also bear in mind that we only have about 10 minutes. So that's a total of 18 questions and I've already raced at about 60 seconds. So those questions are, what is that skill? How might I know that I need to improve that skill? And how do I go about improving it? All right, ready? So let's start off with self-awareness and go to Dom. So self-awareness is, how am I feeling right now? What influence are those feelings having on my behavior, on my attitudes, on my moods? And can I detect what's prompted me to feel this way? Without self-awareness, you're unlikely to adjust any of the other settings. What things might tell you that you need to improve that skill? Perhaps if you get feedback that you're moody or that you're prone to occasional outbursts or harboring attitudes that others pick up or whatever. How might I improve it? Well, I think reflection generally, seeking feedback in particular would be a good one. And practices like journaling or keeping a diary where one can track one's moods throughout the day and explore why one has those kind of feelings, that could be an interesting exercise. Another thing that I find might be a sign is if if you're constantly surprised by the reactions of other people to you, then perhaps what's the common denominator? Maybe it's you and the impact that you're having on others. Kim? The next one's awareness of others. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So awareness of others is essentially about noticing and acknowledging how other people are feeling. Are they feeling valued? Are they feeling listened to? And then it's all about adjusting your style to fit in with them in an authentic manner. So how might you know whether you need to improve that skill? Well, that's pretty straightforward. Ask yourself at the end of any interaction, like a meeting, Do I have a solid understanding of how they're feeling? Did I make them feel valued? If you walk out of that meeting thinking more about yourself and not knowing how the other person may be feeling, then it might be time to do a little bit of self-reflection. So how would you go about improving it? First up, dial up the empathy, not the sympathy. Show real care and concern in a genuine manner. Really listen to people when they're talking, not only what they're telling you, but also listening to what they're not saying. Check in with people you trust about whether they felt acknowledged and heard. And alternatively, check in with people who observe you regularly and ask them to share whether you came across as being empathetic and caring. Awesome. Thank you. Dom, what about authenticity? Yeah, I struggled with this one because I rarely see it as a discrete emotional intelligence. But let me read the general's definition. Thank you. Openly and effectively expressing oneself honoring commitments, and encouraging this behavior in others. So to me, it's things like courageously putting one's feelings into words, but it's also about judging how much you can do there. So it's not oversharing. That ability to say, this is what's going on for me, and that disclosure actually being something that builds trust. How much I know I need to improve that skill, trust issues playing up, maybe people feeling that I'm distant and not really giving anything of myself. How might I improve it? I think this is just something you have to do with practice. You dip your toes in the water. If it feels like, you know, that wasn't life-threatening, maybe you go a little bit further next time. And gradually we figure out exactly how much we can disclose appropriately and when people will respond positively to that as opposed to press the eject button. Mm, Thank you. And if you were to coach or advise someone 
to err on the side of caution, would you ask them or suggest to err on the side of being too vulnerable or not being vulnerable? Uh, it all depends on the situation, who they're with and so on. Okay. I think if people are going through a crisis like we've had with the whole COVID thing, for someone to be able to say, let me tell you how I'm impacted is probably quite a good thing to be vulnerable and it tends to build trust in the environment. It may be a problematic thing if a leader says, let me tell you why I'm uncomfortable about the change that I'm just trying to get you all to buy into. That might be a problem. Fair enough. Fair enough. So no easy black and white answers you're saying. All right, Kim, the next one is number four, emotional reasoning. Yay. So when you're thinking or when you're making a decision, taking into account all the facts, the feelings from yourself and other people into consideration, how do you know whether you need to improve on that skill? Well, straightforward. Ask yourself the last time you made an important decision. What information and feelings did you take into account? Did you only follow your opinions or did you ask other people for their input? Did you solely follow your head or your heart? And how would you go about improving it? Well, if the above decision was not based on a combination of the head and heart, then reflect on what you could do differently next time. If you only use data, you can risk limiting the buy-in from others. However, if you only go with feelings and emotions, you may neglect some vital information. Good. Thank you. And Dominic, number five of six is self-management. So this is a big one. It can include things like keeping problematic emotions in check, like anger, for instance, but even just keeping problematic behaviors in check, being less impulsive or being able to positively uplift one's own mood. Even just discipline, the ability to subordinate not feeling like doing something with one's goal to make something happen. All of those are forms of self-management. What would tell me I need to improve that skill? being a bad procrastinator maybe, frequent expressions of negativity or outbursts at meetings could be an indicator that self-management is problematic. Or even, you know, the more egregious examples of you've developed a drinking problem or some other form of discipline. How might one improve it? Well, again, feedback would probably be a useful component. I think planning in general, so coming up with a plan about how you're going to organize yourself so that you don't procrastinate. But again, like most of these things, it's just discipline. It's like a muscle. If you exercise it, your capacity will increase over time. Whereas if you never exercise it, then those muscles just wither. Since the COVID crisis, my self-management of exercises has completely gone out the window. Kim, last one, inspiring performance. Yeah, so what is it? Pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It's facilitating high performance in others by supporting them, recognizing their effort and hard work, helping them to problem solve, and to be the best they can be and what they can do. How do you know if you need to improve that skill? Well, if you're a team leader and your team isn't performing well or it's performing mediocre at best, well, then this is something you might want to work on. Even though a team can be performing despite their manager, teams can also perform because each person in the team doesn't want to let the team down or individuals are motivated by their field or their profession or they're motivated by an inspiring goal or purpose. I think managers should ask their team if they can do personally more or less of something to better assist their team. So how do you go about improving it? The essential key to this is empowerment. 
empowering your team to work together, collaborate, and cooperate to produce the best result without micromanaging them. Being a positive, reliable cheerleader on the sides, as well as being there as a support or a guide when required. Good. Thanks, Kim. All right, so that was all six of the skills that we talk about within emotional intelligence at the FASIDA program. And that brings us to the end of part two. Stay with us for the third part and final part where Kim and Dominic share, I hope, a personal example of when they may have unexpectedly identified a gap in their emotional intelligence and what they did about it. FastLead is an innovative, high-impact leadership development program for small groups. You pick the topics and learn in short, punchy, and practical sessions that give you plenty of time to try your new skills in real life. 94% of alumni report that FastLead improved their leadership skills and confidence. Learn more at FastLead.com. Welcome back, and we are in the third and final section of this Facilitator podcast. We'd like to finish the last section of the podcast with some personal reflection or story. Would either of you or both of you be willing to share a story, each about a time when you realized that your own EI was not as strong as you thought it might, and by describing what happened, what was the consequence, and how did you grow from that experience? Kim, would you mind sharing a story? Yeah, absolutely. It was a while ago, but I think this struck me very clearly from the lessons that I learned from it. So way back when I had started recently working for a large consulting firm, which was the epitome of everything that you hear about large consulting firms. There were high expectations, enormous financial targets, great client demands, very long working hours. I happened to be on the team of a high stakes project. We had tight deadlines almost impossible deliverables, a tight budget, and very demanding clients. As with most projects, it came with scope creep and technical issues and the client refusing to pay more money. I was working for a manager at the time who had to find ways to reduce costs and deliver the project on time and within budget. Otherwise, no one was getting bonuses that year. My manager got a little bit creative within the budget and started cutting quality control. They also used interns to design certain aspects of the project and charging them out at senior consultant rates. This didn't sit well with me for two reasons. Uh, Firstly is I don't believe in cutting corners regarding safety and quality. And more importantly was the fact that I was supervising the interns at the time. The interns were clearly inexperienced in dealing with clients that we were working with and the work they were coerced into doing. My role essentially as a supervisor was to nurture them and grow the interns so they could learn and develop, but instead they were stressed and they were anxious. And I was becoming more stressed because I was the buffer between the manager and the interns. I could very quickly see the impact that this project was having on me as well as on them. And it went against me being authentic, similar to what Dom was saying earlier on. I could have carried on till the end of the project and walked away with a nice bonus, but I had a duty of care, a duty of care to myself as well as to my interns. So I went to speak to my two up, explained the situation. After a lot of sort of wiggling and negotiation, I managed to get the interns transferred to another part of the business so they could get more work experience in a less stressed environment. I asked to be transferred to a different project where I knew the project lead and trusted her implicitly. 
what I learned from this experience was that it does take courage to speak up when you feel something isn't right. Because if you don't, it can have wide-reaching consequences for yourself as well as for others. And so to this day, I only work on projects where I know and I trust the project leads and share the same level of integrity as them. And I also strongly believe in karma because my original manager was shortly let go after that due to inappropriate conduct. Thanks, Kim. Great story. And uh, Dom, is there a story that you might be willing to share? Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I was also working at uh, one of the big four and a colleague of mine was running a culture change program. And it really put me out that I wasn't consulted in the designing of the program and so on. And the external consultants brought in to do it who didn't actually seem to be doing a particularly good job. And so there was a certain point where they were engaging all of the HR and L&D people to roll out this culture change program. And lacking self-awareness at the time, uh, I don't think I was quite in touch with the degree of resentment that I was feeling and also the mischievous strategy that stemmed straight from it, which was asking them very tricky questions in public which I knew would trip them up and did. And of course, made no friends in the process and probably got a whole bunch of people offside. I mean, I did actually eventually partner more in the delivery of the solution with them. But initially, the fact that I was effectively sniping, punishing them, tripping them up was a real problem and probably caused me quite a bit of embarrassment. So how did I deal with that over time? I think lots of inner work, lots of reflection about, you know, why did it trouble me quite as much as it did? And why was my reaction so disproportionate? And particularly targeting those individuals who they hadn't intentionally excluded me. Probably my colleague that I should have just had a quiet word with in a more peaceful state of mind. Well, there you go. We live and learn. Yeah, thanks, Tom. And there's certainly been a, a times in my career where I felt put off because I wasn't consulted when I believed I should have been. And over time, I, I soon realized that we'll let them do that because there's always more than enough value add work to go around to keep everybody well and truly busy. Right, and thanks to both of you for sharing a, a personal story. I know our listeners are, will really appreciate that connection. And uh, before we sign off, I'm wondering if both of you'd like to say a few words about your organization and the services they provide. Kim, can you tell us a bit about what you do uh, with Career Power? Yeah, thank you. At Career Power, we are an international cohort of psychologists. Uh, we specialize in workplace. We help thousands of people every year with anything relating to their careers. So we do executive coaching, counseling, facilitation, learning, outplacement, and personal development. Have a look at our website, careerpower.com.au. Brilliant. Thanks, Kim. And Dom, a few words about HFL? Yeah, three divisions within HFL. There's a general consulting division where we build custom leadership solutions for organizations, but also, as you know, Darren, things like uh, scenario planning and other forms of general consulting. We have our fast lead area, which hopefully listeners are fairly familiar with, small group coaching for people who are new to leadership roles. So then we also have Fast Lead Plus aimed at middle managers, and it's also delivered through a similar medium, small group coaching. And then we have a program designed for experts, people in areas of technical specialism and professional roles that don't lead people, but still need many of the enterprise skills 
And as with the other programs, that's now available through virtually delivered pods. Brilliant. Thanks, Dom. All right. Thank you to both Kim and Dom for being guests on our podcast. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, Darren. And also thanks to Elena for being our sound engineer. And that brings us to the end of this podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Fast Leader Podcast. I'm Darren Fox, Chief Research Officer and Principal Consultant at HFL. You can email us at info at fastly.com with any questions. We'd love to hear ideas about topics for future podcasts. You can also check out the FastLead website, fastlead.com, for supporting material from this podcast. Watch out for our future podcasts as we explore each of the 14 FastLead topics in more detail and discuss some of the latest management research, news, and topical issues of the day. And until next time, this has been the FastLeader Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.